This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. G'day there. Hope you're well. My guest this episode is funeral director Ian Allison. A sixth generation funeral director, Ian and I sat down and had a bit of a chat about his industry, and we also had a chat about what goes on behind the scenes when farewelling a loved one. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Ian Allison, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? Yeah, really good. Really good, thanks. That's the way. Thanks for, uh, I know you've got a quite a busy schedule, so thanks for taking the time out to come and have a chat today. No worries. No worries. Hopefully we don't get blown away. It's pretty windy yeah. inside. <laughs> We're safe in the treehouse. It's yeah. all good. Now, you are a funeral director. Um, you come from a long line of funeral directors. Was it inevitable that you'd end up having that as your profession eventually? Yeah, good question. Look, it probably was. I both my grandparents were funeral directors, so my grandmother is a is a third generation funeral director, and my grandfather a fourth. Wow, right. <laughs> so it was almost like a prearranged marriage. So what year are we going back to there? What this be- goes back to thirties, I'd say the nineteen thirties. Wow. Yeah. yeah. If I had a guess, sorry, I'd have to yeah. check. <laughs> but um, they were both both funeral directors. One from Sydney, one from Melbourne. So my grandfather was was part of the Allison family in Melbourne and, and my grandmother, the Andrews family in Sydney. And the right. Andrews family is a fairly well-known well known name in Sydney in funerals. And, yep. um, yeah, their father was well, – my Vera, my grandmother, her father, J.O., or James Oswald, was um, was involved in setting them both up. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, uh, was it at like a yeah. – funeral directors convention or something where they met or was it just uh... probably yeah <laughs> <laughs> well that's yeah. great yeah um, so so how long have you been doing it uh yourself now as a because you've got your own business now mm. botanical funerals yep that's right and how long have, have you had that business going for yeah so look botanical funerals is, is is a very new business it's only been going um just over 12 months okay yeah um and previous to that I've been in the industry pretty well all my life. I was, yeah. I, I 
grew up in it. it. Look, it probably was meant to be. I never realised it at the time. I had other objectives. You know, one of them was to become a, believe it or not, a, you know, a work in ships and and okay. work. You know, love the love the ocean. Yeah. And then it was my brother who actually uh, who invited me to sort of encouraged me to get involved in the family business mm-hmm. and um yeah it was when i as soon as i got involved i felt like i was part of a family yeah a greater family in the funeral industry and you know i was really well accepted and yeah i had a lot of good mentors yeah. along the way so did you find that you uh already knew a lot about the industry just from that dinner table chat like you just kind of knew what to expect going in yeah, look, I, I I did, I did, but it's not until you actually practice it mm, yeah. that uh, you know, and that you're at the coalface that you that you really learn, yeah, and, and really understand it. And um, you know, early on, I was put in, you know, I, I was basically given minimal training. I got to say, yeah. early on, yeah. <laughs> and and went straight into arranging funerals in my early twenties. Um, and you know, for some of my grandfather's friends at the time. Um, having carried the surname Allison, and mm. they often wanted to be have the family do it. And my grandfather retired at that, that time. He he wanted me to do the funerals, and yeah, so I was really uh, put in the deep end, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and learnt from, I guess, learn in some ways from my mistakes. Or yeah, and yeah, as I said, I just had great mentors along the way from mm. funeral directors throughout Australia. You know? Right. Is there, is there much study involved once you to become a funeral director? Is did you have to go to university or anything like that? Yeah, look, good question. No, there's no formal qualifications required. Right, I find that so, amazing. I, I thought, yeah. yeah, I was always under the impression that you, mm. you, there's some sort of course. You know, in, in Australia, there's no formal qualification, and really, there's there's such a mixed bag of people that come into the industry from all different walks of life. Mm. You know, from tradespeople right. to to lawyers, all sorts of backgrounds, and really, what it comes down to is, I, th- I think you you just need really good people skills, mm-hmm. um, good event organisation skills, and you know, empathy, care, and compassion, and yeah. and passionate about what you do. Yeah, like anything. Yeah. Do you think people come from those other professions into it because they know it's something you're going to always have work in like it's a it's a it's a job you take on knowing because people are always going to pass away so there's going to be work there forever is that sort of an appeal to it do you think or do you think people just want to get involved and they might have been to a funeral and thought oh, I, I would like to do that mm. i think it's a mixed mixed bag i think people come in for all varying reasons that you know they've they've experienced death mm. and they and they've had a service experience where they think they, they might be able to do a better job than what was provided. Right. And then you've got people that see – the business people that see it as a you know investment opportunity to get involved in a in, in a growing industry. Mm. You know, for me personally, I felt like it was, it was, you know, my calling really. Yeah, yeah. So. So, after you started and, you, you know, you've been thrown in the deep end, you started working in the industry in your early 20s, was there any moments where you thought, oh, this, this, isn't, this isn't for me? Yeah, look, there, there were definitely a, a couple of moments that were quite stressful, but I've always, always really loved working in the industry. I think what I, what I, the reason I wanted to get out, and I did get out of the industry for about three years, was just to experience other things. Yeah, yeah. You know, being around death and 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 grieving people. Um, I thought, you know, with the skills I had, I, I needed they needed to be tested in other industries. Mm. So I did step out for a couple of years okay. to test those skills and. Yeah. Um, 
and that made me realize really I, I wanted to be I needed okay. to be back and I, and I wanted that's what I wanted to do so it was right. good to, to step out yeah do you, yeah. do you see many people come into the profession that just leave quite early because it's mm. just not for them and it's quite confronting yeah look there's a definitely there's some people that come in and have a completely different perspective than the one that they see it at when they see a funeral director at funerals. Mm. That's usually the, I guess, the easier part of the job. Yeah, they don't see all the background work that that goes on to, mm. to get to that stage of service delivery. So, in terms of people, often have the wrong idea, and sometimes even people don't even think that they're going to have to see deceased people or mm. or, or uh, touch deceased people right. who come into the industry, yeah. which is you know, completely sort of unfounded belief, I yeah. guess. Because they think it's more of an, just an event management type job. Yeah. I, well, I guess so, yeah. it's it's um, There's a bit of a misconception. I think when they see you at a funeral and all they see is the, the coffin, that you won't have much to do with the body yeah. and, and the deceased. But in yeah. fact, you know, there is quite – it is quite involved mm. and like a lot of professions it's you know if you do it well it's it's really hard work yeah oh and your work hours i imagine would be all over the shop there's no, you don't you're definitely not on a nine to five monday to friday <laughs> working week <laughs> no. no look you, you've always got to be available 24 yeah. hours and um you do have rosters and you do have your time off but Generally, um, personally, I'm available 24 hours, mm. seven days, and um, I can get a call, you know, two o'clock in the morning, or you know, on a Sunday, uh, on a Sunday night, or be out out at a at a at a party, or you know, and get a call. Yeah, you just you just don't know. Mm. <laughs> so so once yeah. someone's loved one passes away, and the family mm. gets in touch with you for you to be the funeral director for uh, their loved one's funeral, what's the first thing you would do once you get that call? Well, the first thing is just the practical um, questions on where has the person died, has the, the death been verified, mm-hmm. and then we organise to, to bring that, that person into our care. So, yeah, there's – and people die, you know, they can die at home or in a, in a hospital or a nursing home or even, you know, in tragic circumstances in other, area, in other places. Mm. So it, it really depends, but most of the time people die in hospitals. Yeah statistically so so that's where you're going most of the time to pick someone up yeah yeah yeah. do you you deal with the police much as well no so the police they attend the scene when the coroner's involved Ah, okay and and there's a particular there's a a firm that are contracted to do that Mm -hmm. so st john's ambulance actually look after all the coroner's work okay but um i've personally been involved in some of the coroner's work which is quite quite interesting work it's like um you know, sometimes it's like going out to a war scene. Right. God, that's and, horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was involved in all the uh, Black Saturday oh, right. um, transfers. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that was pretty confronting. And you look, it, it the, the coroner's work itself is is quite um, quite fascinating and quite mm. unique. Mm. Um, yeah. that Something like the Black Saturday where, you know, you're not trained to – See that that's something a very rare occurrence of something you'd have to deal with. Was that hard to deal with at the time, or afterwards? Did you did you have any lasting sort of mm. hangover from that horrible situation? Look, it, it was pretty confronting. It was the whole place was shut down, so you know King Lake and the, the whole district and area was shut down, and so we were one of the few that were going going in, and 
it was just a fascinating scene because you had on in one house you had two houses next to each other one completely standing mm-hmm. and it hadn't been touched yeah as opposed to the one next door that was completely flattened wow. and blackened by the fire right and almost it it just came in so quickly mm. and wiped out houses and obviously sadly a number of people but then you know some parts were were completely unscathed it was mm. just it was really bizarre experience to see that and also thing that i remember the most out of it was you could hear a pin drop in the forests there were no trees left in the forest there was no wildlife no Mm. birds flying past you could virtually into this whole valley yeah you could hear a pin drop it felt like the end of the world Mm. yeah so once you you know you, you go to a hospital you go to pick up a, a deceased is there a lot of paperwork that you have to take care of before they come into your care mm. is there a lot of official sort of things that need to happen like you need to have a death certificate and do the family have to sign the person over to your sort of possession from that generally what happens is you the the, the hospital will release the deceased to us after they've uh, signed the, de- the death certificate right. after the doctor's signed and then the hospital will require the next of kin's contact details Mm -hmm. from the funeral director and that way you know they can be sure that you're the person that looking after the family and obviously very and the death's been verified so those those are the two main things they they require is there many occasions where you'll turn up and there'll be another director will turn up be like oh hang on i thought i had this job that that has happened and sometimes funeral rocks is a paper (laughs) yeah (laughs) Look, all funeral directors operate differently. Right. So the way I operate is is that I'll ensure that I meet with the family generally before I bring their loved one into our care, mm-hmm. and I'll have our you know our contract, our funeral contract signed, mm-hmm. and I'll get their commitment before I do anything related to their loved one. Yeah. Whereas other, some other companies may may not do that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Then once you've got the the deceased in your possession and you yeah. you you know there's a process you have to go through between then and the actual funeral day yeah what is the general process from then once you have a deceased in your possession what, what what's the next sort of steps you have to take well generally we we organize a time to see the family that suits them and and then organize the, organize the event with them mm, yeah you know? so, <clears throat> so, so where you are in have you got a, a um, mortuary yeah like but yeah. like an event area where you will have the funeral or yeah. can you be going to churches all over the place depending on where the family chooses you know so we we've got a bit of a different philosophy our business so we use we we've sort of ste- stepped away from the traditional funeral chapels funeral directed chapels okay. yeah. and investing in those to to using reception centers ah, okay so we we do a lot of funerals in you know in reception centers even in, in a garden we've had a funerals in gardens mm-hmm. Um, love to do a funeral on a beach, but we haven't had the opportunity to do that right. yet because yeah. of the council restrictions. But um, yeah, we do funerals in um, places like the Port Melbourne Yacht Club, okay, or yeah. you know Wattle Park Chalet. Mm-hmm. Um, those sort of places are great, a really nice non-funereal venues. Yes, to okay. have a really personalised ex- you know experience, and we find we get great outcomes when we when we use those places. Right. Yeah. And and with the body, you would just have that on site, and you keep that obviously in a cool, uh, cool room. Correct. Up yeah. until the day. Yeah. So we 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 keep the body in the cool room. Then we 
we collect clothing from the family mm-hmm. and we wash, dress and prepare the body. Okay. Um, so they choose what what what, the, what, what person wears. Yeah. 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 yeah and we, we sort of always we always ask the family to choose some clothes mm. for their loved one. Right. I've seen on uh, CSI. You're a big fan of this show, CSI. <laughs> Sometimes, like I've seen, I've seen on other shows before, and this is what something I was very curious about. Bit, bit morbid, right? But when you've got a body in a cool room, uh, I've seen them sit up before, just off their own bat, like a body can just sit up that's <laughs> yeah. passed away. Is that yeah. is that true? Does that things like that actually happen? Like a arm or a leg fly up in the air. With rigor mortis and and the gases in the body as well, right. there is some movement, mm-hmm. um, but not to the extent of sitting up. Or, okay. or I think, uh, yeah, that's been a bit. Um, that's probably Hollywood. It's Hollywood, right? Yeah. Oh, that's a show. Yeah. <laughs> It'd make our job interesting, though. Yeah. There'd be some OHS implications <laughs> for that sort of activity. It would yeah. definitely scare the shit out of it me. Hasn't happened to I'm, me yet. Right. Okay. I'll let you know. <laughs> And are you organising a hearse, do you, or do you have a hearse for your business? Do you own one? Yeah, yeah, right. So then, are you? Do you have to organise the the pamphlet, like the the the, uh, the, the service booklets? Yeah, do you have to organise the service yeah, booklets yeah. and just uh, yeah, the photographic life tribute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And family will give you music. Yep. as well. They have to choose a coffin. We usually download the music. Okay, yeah. Well, yes. The, do you outsource coffins, or do you have coffins that you supply? That the people can buy. No, we we supply all the coffins. Right. Yeah. It's all part of, uh, part of the deal. Yeah. 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 So our coffins are Australian made, and they're made up in Queensland. That's our main manufacturer up in Queensland. But we do also source locally in Melbourne from a manufacturer in Melbourne as mm. well. So or a cu- couple of manufacturers in Melbourne. So just depending on what people want, and there's such a diverse range of needs in the community yeah. with different cultures. Yeah. That we've got a real diverse range of coffins. The, the more you think caskets. about the role and what goes into it, there's so many th- things that go into it mm. that have to be done, and you want everything to be perfect as well. Mm. Um, how many staff do you have working in your business? Yeah, so look, w- we've got a team of about five or six. Yeah. So we're only you know a small small business, but um, we yeah just a small small team. Yeah. And and that allows us. What that allows us is to provide a really personalised experience because whoever we meet with will follow you through to the end of mm-hmm. the service okay. and even after the service. Yeah. So we um, really pride ourselves in that personalised service. Yeah. yeah. And just back on the coffin question, what what's the yeah. most expensive coffin you provide? Because I've seen, again, this is on TV, it could be Hollywood, but like gold-plated coffins and you know some pretty pimped out. Expensive coffins. What's the most expensive one you've you've seen? Yeah, so we do sell um, like a deluxe. Our coffins model? start at six hundred and eighty-two dollars. Okay, and then if you're wanting the gold-plated coffin, which is the Batesville, that's an American. So it's actually gold-plated. It is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I so can't tell you the- how many carats, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I haven't sold one as yet. But or well, family hasn't bought one as yet. Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, I believe Michael Jackson had had that casket. Really, something similar, right? Yeah, the the so the Batesville's you often see there in a lot of the Hollywood movies, right? We do have those in our range, the yeah. the Batesville's, and look, yeah, you get just get such a diverse range of needs mm. and 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 wants from people, and this um six hundred eighty two dollar one mm. is that still what, what are we talking there? Is it just like a pine sort of? That's no, just a composite timber, 
Um, but still so looks nice. Looks it's a, it's a nice coffin. It's yeah. available on our website <laughs> if anyone wants, <laughs> wants to look at it. Uh, and uh, it's called the Acacia Coffin. And look, it, it, it's a, it is a nice coffin. And mm. look, my philosophy is whatever we use on, on our funerals, whether it be coffins or the way our staff are presented, the way the coffins are presented reflects on us as a business. Right. And so I think if we were to offer something – you know, very cheap looking. Yeah, um, yeah, it reflects badly on our business. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I've always been at the perspective with coffins that, you know, we make a minimal markup, mm. um, and we um, we provide a you know something of real value to people. Mm. Yeah. Do you uh, get many people that purchase their coffins before they've passed away? Do you have do you deal with many people that think their time's running out and they're like they book either you know, your service or yeah. the coffin and organise it all themselves because they don't want to burden their family with all that organisational stuff? It, it's pretty rare. We've had a few people build their own coffins. Right. And build their own coffins for relatives. So, you know, we've provided them the, the dimensions and mm-hmm. and they've come back with a, a really nice coffin a lot of the time. And, mm. and um, yeah, it's, you know, it, it depends on, again, what the family want. Uh, generally... To go out and source your own coffin, or, or to to make your own, um, people are generally buying convenience with us. So they they you know that's one of the things they're buying. So they right. they want everything supplied. Yeah, yeah. So it's not a common thing, but mm. look, it could be something of the future that people people do. Mm. Yeah, with the whole DIY movement, yeah. with Bunnings and <laughs> <laughs> just Bunnings sell them. I, I, oh yeah, I've seen, maybe it was Aldi or somewhere. I remember somewhere was selling yeah. coffins. You could get them. Yeah. With yeah, your, look, no, but I don't think veg. Bunnings sell them. I know mm. Costco. I've got some. Oh, that's right, it's Costco. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't get a. I, I don't hear of many people buying coffins at Costco. I think it's right. more of a PR exercise, to be yeah, honest, for Costco. Right. You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Hey, before we go back to the podcast, I want to tell you about someone. That someone is Melbourne-based photographer Nicole Reed. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. Comedians like Peter Hellier and Anne Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reed Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereed.photography. Get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now let's get back to the podcast. Now, it's another thing I was curious about you because when you're dealing with someone who's lost a loved one, you're dealing with them from the start to the finish, right? Till the end of the funeral, everything's done. Uh, you've been through them, you know, maybe a couple of weeks would be like the, would that be right? About the period you would deal with someone between the person passing away and the funeral or a week or two? So generally, usually there's four to seven days, I'd say, from yeah. the date of death mm-hmm. to the funeral date on right. average. Yeah. But look, it depends. Sometimes people have got people overseas that they're want to that they they're waiting for, to come yeah, home. Yep. And so, you know, the longest I think we've ever waited um, for the funeral to occur was about three months. Okay. And that's very rare. Yeah, that is a long time. And, and, and the only reason was the family couldn't decide on the, on the, the grave, okay. on where to have the grave. And right. That was that was a bit of a dispute on where the grave would need, need needed to be. Yeah, yeah. right. And because you're dealing with the the family for that long, is it sort of 
you know, did, did it take you a while to get used to dealing with? Because these people you're dealing with are, you know, they're emotional the whole time. It's a really sad part of their life for that four to seven days, and you're dealing with them for that entire time. Is it hard to separate yourself from that and not get too emotionally invested? yourself does that does that come with time and like at the start when you started out were you a bit like oh god this is quite sad but you learn over time to still you know you still care for that person and you want them to have the best result in the funeral and the outcome but yeah do you you try and just separate the two so you're not just going home just mentally drained yeah look i think you need to in for for, because people just really want you to 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 look after them well and do a good job Mm. um they don't necessarily want you to be their counselor at the funeral, you still need to be empathetic. Mm. But I, I find that if we try to be too much like a counsellor, it's, it's not authentic. I don't mm. think, you know, we're not counsellors. We're event planners. We're there to do a job as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you can't help but, you know, be impacted, particularly if it's a it's a child that's yeah, died or yeah. a baby or, or um, you know, someone that's died. It really, you know, it's, if it's a suicide, which, mm. you know, my company's... Um, pretty involved in, in suicide prevention mm. or, you know, it, it is situational mm. and everyone grieves differently and every funeral is different. Yep. So there's no one way to, you know, to, to deal with um, or to to look after someone in that in that situation. Some people, they want us to do the job, but, you know, they, they realise that we're not counsellors as right. well. Okay. What, what percentage of people uh, these days are... Uh, like burying to cremating, what's the sort of general ratio? Is it, I feel like cremation would be much more popular. Have you noticed that change over the last sort of 10, 15 years? Yeah, look, cremation is more popular. It's probably 65, 35. Okay. Yeah. And the, look, the, I think the, the main reason for that is the cost of a burial plot has gone up quite significantly as compared to crema- the cost of cremation. Mm-hmm. So... One of the things that some of the cemeteries in Melbourne are starting to do now is um, is buy land further out of Melbourne, where they're going to be enable people to buy graves that are less expensive. Right, and so it, it'll give them the option of either paying for a cremation that's you know approximately in the nine hundred to a thousand dollar mark. Okay, or sorry, eight hundred to a thousand dollars, or buying a grave for say you know twelve fifteen hundred dollars. So okay. there's a price comparison there mm. where they can whereas at the moment graves are quite a lot more expensive than cremation mm. and are you are you deal, do you have a place where you're generally sending people to or is that chosen yeah. by the family as well for the grave site look it's all chosen by the family and mm. it really depends on where the family live generally mm-hmm. as to where they want to be buried there's also religious and customs that mm. of where people choose graves so you know Particularly in the in the Asian community, the feng shui is really important. Okay, yeah. And um, I know, for example, at Sorrento Cemetery, they're opening up a whole lot of land there that's going to have the best. I don't know if this is the word, but the the best feng shui in the southern hemisphere. Is that right? So, wow. yeah, right on, right next to the ocean there in Sorrento. Yeah. So you'll find a lot of lot of. Uh, you know, Chinese people in mm. particular will want to will want to buy a grave there. Yeah. So you obviously you mm. speaking of different, you know, people from different backgrounds and religions. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you are you dealing with all different religions as well? And have you had to learn about the traditions of each different religion in your time as a funeral director? 
Yeah, look, and that's one of the things I love about the job. Just in my area in Keysborough, mm. um, there's 150 different cultures. Right. And so you're always learning and there are definitely uh, customs for each of – whether it's a Hindu funeral, a Buddhist, a, Catholic, a traditional Catholic funeral or mm-hmm. even some of the, the, the Chinese rituals, it's amazing – some of the things that that you need to know, mm. also sorry the Orthodox um, traditions, so yeah. Greek Orthodox or Macedonian Orthodox. There's a lot of things that you need to know that you can let the family know that may not know some of the customs. Yeah, yeah. Because their mum may have died, but they, you know, they haven't grown up always going to the church, even yeah. though their mum did. Um, yeah. So yeah, you do definitely need to know those customs and be ready to, you know, suggest. And, and advise the family mm. accordingly. So, is, there, yeah. is there some religions that don't cremate at all? Is there? Well, cremation wasn't accepted by by the Catholic community for for, for many years right. until that was changed. You know, now that is accepted. And yeah, so Greek and, and Macedonian Orthodox they generally bury. Right. Yeah, they. I've never been in a situation where they would cremate. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's part of their belief system right. where they would. Where they would accept a cremation, mm-hmm. so they, they're always uh, always a burial. Yeah, I mean there are definitely some religions that only cremate as well. Okay. So that's the Orthodox only bury. Whereas, you know, with the Hindus, you've got in India, you've got the the funeral pyres, mm, of course. and so they, you know, they're they're big on cremation. Mm-hmm. And the the crematorium operator is actually, believe it or not. Held in quite high esteem by the by okay. members of the community yeah. in the Hindu community. Mm. So you know, in in Anglo in Anglo uh, community, they're they're not potentially they're not really as, thought of. Yeah, yeah, okay. but um, yeah, they're quite held in quite high esteem. So yeah, so that's sort of just such mm. a range of customs and beliefs. Yeah. It really keeps you on your toes. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, I have a lot of daytime off because I do stand-up at night. So often I'll see daytime TV, and it's often uh, targeting generally people who are watching daytime TV, which is elderly people, and that is funeral insurance comes up a lot. Um, would you advise people that they should get that? Is that something that does help out when uh, someone passes away, like a funeral insurance? And are you dealing much with the insurer, or is it just up to the family to sort that out? What, what funeral directors provide is is uh, generally provide is a fixed price prepaid funeral as opposed mm-hmm. to funeral insurance. So if you were, for example, to to buy a, f- a fixed price funeral today for say five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, that's fixed at today's price, and in ten years' time, that although that could be worth ten thousand dollars, as prices go up, um, the funeral director has taken that risk for you. Ah, uh, okay. And you've yep. you've reaped the benefit of five thousand dollars mm-hmm. over over that ten years, as compared to funeral insurance, where you might um, start paying a cup of coffee a week. Then, when you get into your eighties, your premiums may go up significantly, mm-hmm. which means in ten years' time, although ten years ago you were paying a cup of coffee, you're paying a couple of hundred dollars, yeah, you know, quite significantly more per week yeah. than you were paying before. So, what we've found is is that people sometimes even come to us wanting to get out of the insurance product. Okay, and just buy the... But but they don't realise that in getting out, they forego all the money that they've already put in. Ah, right. So what what sometimes happens, and I know of one particular client where they paid 
around fifteen thousand dollars in funeral insurance mm-hmm. for for a funeral that was worth five thousand dollars. Right, because because mm. they were paying those small amounts for such a long period of time. Correct. Yeah. Everything. Right, and the premiums went up as that person aged. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. Like, look, like a lot of insurance products, you, you know, often you pay a lot more, you know, than than you need to. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's just something to consider that the what funeral directors provide is is a fixed price funeral, um, fix at today's prices. They take the risk, yeah. whereas it, with funeral insurance, I guess you're taking the risk yeah. on when you're going to die and how yeah. much you're going to pay. Mm. So you're almost mm. better off putting that cup of coffee away yourself into a little bank account when you think you might start, you know, to want to save for that and just mm. chip away and and save, you know, a couple of bucks a day for. 10 years and then you'll have a great because you'll get interest on your your bank well yeah that's that's definitely one way or or as i said if you, you can actually um buy fixed price funeral plans fu- through funeral directors with on payment plans right. interest-free payment plans yeah. as well so you can do it that way and as i said the in in that sense the funeral director takes takes the risk mm. not you what what's the most expensive funeral you've ever You've ever dealt with what's the most a family's ever spent? Well, look, probably the the state funerals that I've done. Mm. So I was privileged to to look after the funeral for Malcolm Fraser, their past prime minister. Mm. And so uh, how did that yeah. come about? Did they just contact you and through the family? Was there any connection there? You no, know, they they just contacted us. They yeah. they sort of um, you know they they got referred from a friend who who who. Um, who'd had a funeral with us and this was in in, a, in our family business not my yeah. new business and yeah they they just contacted us and and um as as any family would i guess and mm. yeah so what year was that in 2015 around around the 20th of march um and what church was yeah. that at so that was at scott's church in the city yeah and is that what yeah. like i imagine like dealing with just um yeah. Some of that has, isn't a prime minister, a past prime minister's funeral would be a lot of work. Mm. A state funeral must be. Is that you know staying up twenty hours a day trying to organise something like that? It seems like it'd be something that's Pretty quite well. stressful. Pretty well. There was a lot of security around that funeral mm. um, and around all part, all elements of that funeral because at the time there was some real issues with terrorism, right? And there were some. There were some threats made um, at that time. To there, there were, I shouldn't say there were some threats made. There were some potential threats. Mm. So there was a lot of security, and yeah, it was it was just amazing um, being involved in a real privilege. And we had eighteen staff, mm-hmm. and we had, um, you know, we had a rehearsal um, on what how it was all going to work, wow. or all, all going to function with you know the police, the prime minister's office, all, all different government departments. Mm. Um, because yeah, there's just so much involved in bringing dignitaries in to attend the funeral, yeah. through to through to the hearse, <clears throat> driving to Melbourne General Cemetery for the interment, and that was um, that was quite amazing in itself because you had you know two major streets in the city closed down, mm. so you had Lonsdale Street, and um, you had the street leading up to the cemetery right. to Melbourne General, yeah, uh, all closed off, and yeah, it was just. It, it, it was really amazing to be part of, and and just seeing the communities that were affected by you know Malcolm Fraser, like the Vietnamese community. He, he opened up Australia to the Vietnamese <laughs> community, to a range of different communities, and, mm. and they you know came to thank him. Wow! At, at at the funeral, and 
Yeah, and and they had and there were dignitaries from all around the world. Yeah, yeah. Has your family, uh, obviously your family's been in the industry for so long, have um, other members like grandfathers or anything done any famous people's funerals over the years? Yeah, so it was a big deal f- personally for me to, to be involved with Malcolm Fraser's funeral because my grandfather looked after Menzies' funeral. Wow. Robert Menzies, and that was a huge funeral at the time at the same church at Scott's Church yep. um, where, where Malcolm Fraser's was. And Malcolm Fraser was a pallbearer ironically, for Sir Robert Menzies yeah. as well. So it was quite amazing. But, um, yeah, um, and they were both uh, – Malcolm Fraser's buried at Melbourne General Cemetery just next to or very close to Sir Robert Menzies as mm-hmm. well, whose who's, um, ashes are at Melbourne General Cemetery. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they Menzies was a mentor of Fraser's and, yeah, there was a real connection there in, in yeah. um, with both of them. But Yeah, and w- within the industry, like – Say in the comedy industry, getting a spot on like a Melbourne Comedy Festival gala or something like that is something that you really strive for and, you know, a tick off. When you're doing someone's funeral that is that, you know, well-known and it's such – is that a real honour and is that something you really get a kick out of as a funeral director? Is that something that's sort of can use that as a selling point then or something like that or is it just something you – yeah, look, you, you do, you do. Um, I haven't really used it as a selling point. Mm. Um, look, I like to think that every every person you, we treat the same, mm. whether it's the prime minister or or you know someone who's who's you know a poor person who's been living on the streets all their life. Yeah, you know, we we really try and treat everyone the same. Um, but yeah, look, in terms of my personal personally having my grandfather had done Menzies and mm. having looked after Malcolm Fraser's was a was a big privilege for me yeah. and a real yeah a real honor and something that you know I'll never never forget another thing I was curious about like the whole you know when you tell people say you meet someone for the first time they ask you what you do and you tell them you're a funeral director what's the general response from people do, do they want to find out more or is it a bit um they're like oh and and that's the end of the conversation because I feel like, yeah, most people don't want to think about death, you know, their own mortality at any point. You just, you know, put that in the back back of your mind. Is that where do people sort of react strangely when you tell them that? Well, people often think I, I, I've said film director <laughs> when I say funeral director. They don't believe me. Uh, I, apparently, I don't look like one, but um, I don't know what one's supposed to look yeah. like. It, uh, I'm I'm a bit younger than I guess the average um, at age 37. But yeah. yeah, look, people ask a lot of questions mm. when they find out you're a funeral director, and it's amazing. You could be there for hours answering people's questions sometimes, mm. um, and they often say, "Well, sorry, I didn't." You know, they they I didn't want to have to ask you all these questions, but they they often people are fascinated by it and mm. and. Look, in some ways, it over many years, it's been a bit of a closed industry, a bit of a closed shop. So, yep. you know, yeah, there, there's still a lot of mystique about the industry. I think. Yeah, is that um, is that part the industry itself wanting just to have a bit of that mystique, or is it more that the the public kind of don't really want to know too much more about it because they don't want to think about death? Probably a bit of both. Mm. Yeah, I think. Um, People generally don't want to think about death. Um, you know, they, they try and push it under the rug a bit mm. in some ways. And, like, and yeah, like when you're starting out mm. and you're, you're training and you're learning in your early 20s about the industry, were, were there things you were told just not to talk about with people? 
Well, remember, I was, I was saying I didn't get much training. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, any little, yeah, any little <laughs> tips from when uh, I first started out yeah. years ago? But look, um, <clears throat> there, there's there's obviously pri- big privacy issues, mm. um, and I mean, you've also got to be sensitive to the family and and the family's needs. But look, it all depends on the family and what what they're wanting to know and what mm. questions they're wanting answered. Yeah. Um, in terms of the thing that I have a, a bit of an issue with, I think is if you were to film a body without consent of a family, or, okay, yeah, you know, I think that's you know that's been done before, and I'm not mm-hmm. a big fan of it. Mm-hmm. I think you've you've got to you've got to always put yourself in your in the shoes of the of the person. Say, so would would I want this for my loved one? Yeah, yeah. They put they are putting a lot of trust in you, aren't they? Like that mm. by handing that person over to you. Absolutely. Um, that trust. Is, is is pretty amazing sometimes because if we're for example doing a repatriation of a, someone who's died a, a foreigner who's died in Melbourne mm. then all you're getting you're building that trust over the phone so the person whether it's their mum or dad is speaking to you in you know, it could be France yeah and they're saying you know um, this is the, here are our details we want our our, our our son or daughter brought back yeah and that trust you'll never meet them it's just mm. all done over the phone. And how yeah, often would email. that happen? Like, is that sort of a once a year thing, or? Uh, yeah, look, we we do do quite a few repatriations. Um, so these are uh, unfortunately people passing away on holiday, or that's right. Yeah, that's horrible, isn't it? Mm. That's um, mm. that must be one of the tougher. I'm sure they're mm. all tougher. That sounds like it would be one of the tougher things to deal with. Yeah, well, uh, look, it's an unexpected death, mm. and it's um, yeah, it definitely usually comes as a bit of a shock to the family and. Yeah, often you know you're dealing with insurance companies, mm. and, you know, and, and, and consulates. To, yeah, mm. and having to get the the body back there mm. via. Would they put that? Would that just be on a, a normal commercial flight? It is. Yeah. yeah, often it's 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 on a normal commercial flight, but um, in a specific part of the plane, obviously, yeah. a refrigerated part of the plane. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, there's it can be difficult sometimes in dealing with the different bureaucracies of different countries, like it whether it be France or America or, mm. you know, and fulfilling their requirements. So, yeah, there's quite a lot of work involved in them. Yeah. And, um, again, it, it keeps you on your toes because it's, a, a, you know, another thing mm. that, that's always different. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah. So we, we've covered a lot of the, the ins and outs of being a funeral director today. I do want to ask you, what do you, what do, you do to relax? What do you do to get away from your job if you can? Do you, do you take – because you're saying it's a 24-hour a day, mm-hmm. seven days a week. Do you, do you have a couple of weeks off a year where you can get away? And Yeah, look, I, I definitely think it's important because mm-hmm. otherwise you just get burnt out and a lot of people do get burnt out in the yeah. industry, unfortunately, and they don't look after themselves enough. You know, we've got great people in this industry and – um, we lose a lot of great people from burnout. Right. Um, so, yeah, definitely try and take at least a week or two off a year mm. with the family and, and just go overseas or just go somewhere. But, yeah, look, I, I, I'm a surfer, so I love going okay. surfing and yeah. that's my um, my release, if you like. And right. I think it's important to have have that opportunity to just get your mind off it completely. Because mm. when, you, when you're arranging funerals, you, you're, you're always thinking about them. Yeah, well, I feel like... Yeah. All jobs you need to have a bit of an escape from, you know, you need to Absolutely. whatever profession it is. But I feel like something like that, that mm. is so uh, uh, time-consuming and, you know, I, I'd imagine it would be draining from start to finish. Mm. You really need to just freshen that your mind up and get away. 
Mm. Stop thinking about it for a couple of weeks. Oh, absolutely. And look, sometimes that may be because you've been involved in a really traumatic death. Mm. And, it, you know, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who recently uh, embalmed a young young person, um, an eight-year-old, and yeah. he was pretty traumatised by it. Mm. And, um, you know, he he said, you know, he was almost ready to finish up there and then. With Is that his, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. So it can really affect you at different times. Yeah. Um, and when you, you know, when – you're dealing with a traumatic death like that, that can really take a lot out of you. So mm. you may need even counselling, a yeah. debrief afterwards or... Is, yeah. is there a like a, a wider, like a union for funeral directors where you're all, you know, do you have meetings every year and um, yeah, we, there's someone a, you can speak to in situations like that? There's a number in industry groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the National Funeral Directors Association, the Australian Funeral Directors Association, the, um, those are the two main ones. And, yeah, they meet and, and discuss issues in the industry and, yeah, it's often brought up about, you know, um, the burnout factor mm-hmm. um, and that you need to look after yourself, Yeah, you know. And you also need to look look around at your peers and make and look for signs of them, yeah. you know, um, having issues as well because if you can't look after yourself, you can't look after other people. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And do you feel like just – and just talking about it, like your mate said he, you spoke to him – that would help a lot too, wouldn't it? Just chatting to another uh, yeah. director or someone in the industry, just to absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that 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 definitely helps because they they understand mm, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> a general sort of pup person wouldn't really know what the hell. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, mate, that's been an absolutely fascinating chat. We've got to uh, found out a lot of things I didn't know about the industry, and um, I think listeners will really enjoy what you've had to say. Uh, if people want to get in contact with your business, you've got a business website, obviously. Yeah, so it's just simply botanicalfunerals.com.au. Yeah. Mm. So botanical like the gardens. Yeah. And all on so, there. I've seen your website. It's a great website. You've got all what you're about and processes and prices and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if anybody needs to know more about that, they can contact you. Beautiful. No, thank yeah. you. All right. Well, yeah, thanks very much and thanks for taking it easy with me today. <laughs> no, that, that's been great, Daniel. Appreciate it. No worries. Hey, thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that one. As Ian mentioned, you can get onto his website at www.botanicalfunerals.com.au. Check that out. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. Um, There's uh, obviously on iTunes. If they have iTunes, get them to subscribe. There's 21 other episodes on there. Uh, While you're on iTunes, leave a comment or a rating. That would be much appreciated. Uh, If they're not on iTunes, uh, you can listen to all episodes on my website, which is www.danielconnell.com.au. Jump on there and head to the podcast section. Uh, While you're on there, you can head to my uh, uh, gig section for all my live stand-up shows. Come and check one out. Um, Also, while you're online, you might as well jump on Facebook and check out my Facebook page, Daniel Connell Comedy. Instagram, also Daniel Connell Comedy, or Twitter, which is Daniel Connell 3. That is it, and we'll see you next time. Take it easy.